right, welcome back to From Aid Arbitration. And today we're going to get into Article 16.8, Review of Discipline. Article 16.8 is an absolute Swiss Army knife of a provision. Once you get into it, it has about 20 or 30 different ways it can be used. And we're going to try to get into most of those in this episode. So uh, bear with me. It's going to be rather lengthy, but I think it will be very informative. And I think that if we use it properly, it can be an easy victory for us when we get into arbitration. With that being said, let's get right into it. Article 16.8, Review of Discipline. And this is how it starts. In no case, let me stop right there. That That's powerful. That's powerful right there. When it says, in no case, which means 100% of the time, this is what's going to happen. It has no leeway. So 100% of the time, this is how it's going to happen, is how Article 16.8 starts out. In no case may a supervisor impose suspension or discharge upon an employee unless the proposed disciplinary action by the supervisor has first been reviewed and concurred in by the installation head or designee. Now, that word supervisor... What does that mean? To me, it means just what it says. The supervisor. And not the manager. Or not the postmaster. I take the contract literally. I think if it says something, then that's what it means. Unfortunately, you have arbitrators out there. They do not feel that way. I have one on my panel right now. She is an absolute disaster of an arbitrator. She is absolutely pathetic, and she is an enemy to the letter carrier. And she's off the panel this time, thank God. But she is an abomination, and it doesn't matter what you put in front of her. She's going to find some kind of way to weasel herself out of it and go against the union. So when you tell her that this says the supervisor, she doesn't, she doesn't think that that's, that's what that implies. She thinks that that means just anybody in management. She's a fool. The contract identifies supervisor numerous times throughout it. And, and we'll get into that, some arbitrator's decisions here in just a bit that talk about that as well. But just going through the contract, if you start on Article 15, 15.2, informal step A, this is what it states. Any employee who feels aggrieved must discuss the grievance with the employee's immediate supervisor. Within 14 days. Well, what does that tell you? That I'm going to meet with my immediate supervisor. It doesn't say immediate supervisor or manager or postmaster. It says immediate supervisor. You go on down, same article. An employer union representative must discuss the grievance of the employee's immediate supervisor. States it again. Immediate supervisor. Turn the page. 15.2 informal step A, B. In any such discussion, the supervisor shall have authority to resolve the grievance. It doesn't say member of management or manager. It says the supervisor. Go on down. During the informal step A discussion, the supervisor and the steward. Again, it, it clearly defines supervisor. Go on down. 15.2. Informal step A. C. States at the request of the union, the supervisor 
shall print her, his or her name. Again, supervisor. If you go to the very first page of Article 16, under just cause principle, what does it state on the very last sentence? These criteria are the basic considerations that the supervisor must use before initiating disciplinary action. So what does that tell me? That the contract is clear on when it wants the supervisor to handle things. And in 16A, there's no difference. It starts out, in no case may a supervisor impose suspension or discharge upon an employee unless the proposed disciplinary action by the supervisor has first been reviewed and concurred in by the installation head or designee. It goes on to state, in post offices or 20 or less employees, where there is no higher level supervisor than the supervisor who proposes to initiate suspension or discharge, the proposed disciplinary action shall first be reviewed and concurred in by a higher authority outside such installation or post office before any proposed disciplinary action is taken. So again, it talks about the supervisor. Then you go down further. And here's, here's where we start getting into to some differences of opinion. Concurrence is a specific contract requirement to the issuance of a suspension or a discharge. So, you don't have a concurrence or there is no requirement of a concurrence for a letter of warning, right? In this installation, for some reason, when management issues a letter of warning, they will have a concurrence on the letter of warning. Do not waste your time looking at that concurrence. There is no requirement to concur on a letter of warning. It only deals with suspensions and discharge. I have told managers before, when they give me documentation that I've requested, there's a request for appropriate action. There's the requesting and there's the concurring. And I tell them, you don't need to concur on a letter of warning. Well, we just want to be safe. Well, that's stupid. The contract's clear. The only time you need concurrence is on suspension or discharge. So if you get a letter of warning and they have in the request for action or whatever you call it in your installation, you see a concurrence, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time on that. Don't waste your time trying to defend that or trying to look that up or formulate questions. You're wasting your time. A good labor advocate will get into the hearing and say, Hey, look, there's no requirement for a, a concurrence on a letter of warning. And all of that time and effort that you put into that is down the toilet. Here's where the confusion comes in. It goes on to state, it is normally the responsibility of the immediate supervisor to initiate disciplinary action. That's where we differ with management because that word normally we say it is normally the responsibility of the immediate supervisor to initiate disciplinary action. Now, here's how you're going to beat that. What management will say is you're going to get some, some discipline, a suspension, 14 days, 7 day, maybe a removal. And you're going to see that the station manager or the postmaster has requested this disciplinary action. And then some impu or whatever y'all call it, they have concurred. So they're saying that that meets the requirement that a higher level has concurred on that. And you're going to raise the contention and you're going to say, hey, look here. The immediate supervisor should have requested this discipline according to Article 16.8. And what's management going to say? 
Well, that's not a mandate. We're not mandated to do that. It doesn't say that they must do it. It says that normally that should happen. Or normally that's the responsibility of the immediate supervisor. Let's look up the word normally and let's see what it states, okay? Let's define normally. Normally means under normal or usual conditions as a rule. That's what normally means. And that's when you get this, this is the contention that you're going to make. It's under normal or usual conditions. So when you bring this contention to management and they say, hey, it's not mandated. It's not mandated. It doesn't say that it says normally. Then you need to ask them, what was the abnormal or unusual condition that required someone other than the immediate supervisor to request this discipline? That's what you're going to ask them. You're going to say, if you can just tell me what was the abnormal or unusual condition that required someone other than the immediate supervisor to request this disciplinary action. Because normally means under normal or usual conditions. So we're going by just an everyday, normal or usual condition. So you got the postmaster requesting this discipline. I need to know what was the abnormal condition or the unusual condition that required that postmaster to request this discipline and not the supervisor and have them answer that and get that on the record. Because an advocate for the NELC is going to blister management on that stand. When they're sitting in the hot box, when they're sitting in that seat, we're going to ask those things. Let's get those on the record before it gets there. Because you never want to ask a question in arbitration that you don't know the answer to. <laughs> you can hang yourself on that. So get that on the record, okay? And if they say, well, you know, we got this 204B. And so uh, we just didn't feel that it was, you know, that they were ready for that. Look here. Ask them this. Does the 204B, do they make the schedule? Well, well yeah. Do they approve or disapprove leave? Oh, well, yeah. Do they approve or disapprove 3996? Well, yeah. Can they issue discipline? Well, yeah. Have they ever done an investigative interview before? Well, yeah. Well, then I don't want to hear crap about a 204B is the reason that you circumvented 16.8. All right? So let's hold management to that. If you see anybody other than the immediate supervisor requesting that discipline, get it on the record why the postmaster or station manager or whoever else requested that, why did they do that? And when they give you any of this kind of, well, it says normally, then do what I just said. What was the abnormal, unusual condition that required anyone other than the immediate supervisor to request this disciplinary action? All right? Because I'm telling you, when we get into arbitration, they're going to use that word normally against us. And so I'd rather have it on the record, something that you can look up and research. If they say, well, the supervisor, you know, they were out with COVID for 14 days. Well, who, who in the hell was taking their place? It says the immediate supervisor. It doesn't say the supervisor's been working with them for 15 years. It just says the immediate supervisor. That's why they get paid more money than we do to make these decisions and to do these things. So let's hold them accountable for that, all right? Anybody other than the immediate supervisor request that discipline, hold management accountable for it as at the informal A level, okay? As the shop steward. L let me say this. 
as a shop steward, and I stated this in, in my first and second episode, I believe, be, be the very best that you can be. Be the very best that you can be and be one of those that is aggressive in what you do and wanting to be the very best. I, to this day, that's how I conduct myself. I want to be the best shop steward in the country. Am I? No, I'm not. But I study that way and I conduct myself that way. I investigate that way because I want to be the best shop steward in the country. Now, there are some fantastic stewards, and I know that I'm not the best. But that's what you should strive to be, the best shop steward in the country. Don't be, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. So when you get these things, research them, study them. Uh, when you get requests for action and you see that on there, that someone other than the, the immediate supervisor requested, get into that. Be like a bloodhound. Man, get all over that and help your formal A out, okay? Uh, your formal A, the last thing they need, I know that right now my formal A has about 30 grievances he's working on. And so these things like this will be very difficult for him to get this and in seven days say, let me request you know, this information. Uh, why was the immediate supervisor not doing this? These things should be done at our level down here at the at the informal A. Okay, I'm sorry for rambling right there, but just be be that aggressive shop steward. Be be that one. Be always be very professional, but be aggressive. I'm gonna tell you this: it makes a difference when management wants to mess with your carriers if they know you're gonna hand their ass to them every time that they mess with them. Okay, and, you know, they, they tend to respect a shop steward who is diligent. Not that we need their respect, but it does help you. Helps you on down the road, okay? So, new shop stewards, be the very best that you can be. Be very aggressive, all right? Where am I at? <laughs> all right, carries on in 16.8. It says, uh, we just left off. It is normally the responsibility of the immediate supervisor to initiate disciplinary action. It goes on. Before suspension or removal may be imposed, however, the discipline must be reviewed and concurred in by a manager who is a higher level than the initiating or issuing supervisor. All right? So they distinguished it for you. Before a suspension or removal may be imposed, however, the discipline must be reviewed and concurred in by a manager who is a higher level than the initiating or issuing supervisor. It doesn't say manager who is a higher level than the initiating or issuing manager. It, it differentiates. It says supervisor. Okay? Goes on. This act of review and concurrence must take place prior to the issuance of the discipline. Now, here's, here's a word that you will hear a lot when you research, if you research sites. If you research uh, arbitration sites, if you get on a member's page and you look up arbitration sites that deal with concurrence, the word that you will hear a lot is rubber stamp, rubber stamping. I had an arbitration case once. It was a removal. Uh, it was down south of here where, and I'm sure you see this all the time, and you'll probably contend this all the time. You'll see that the investigative interview was done July 1st. The supervisor requested the discipline July 1st, okay? 
the concurring official reviewed and concurred on the discipline July 1st. So I've got the investigative interview, the request, and the concurrence all on the same day. Do not let that slide. (laughs) Do not let that slide. That is as rubber stamping as it gets. They have just rubber stamped that. Make that contention. And if you want to call the concurring official, put in a request that you want to contact that concurring official. When he answers the phone, say, sir, this is Corey Walton. I'm shop steward. I want to talk to you about the concurrence. I see that you concurred on this the very same day. I sure did. Can you tell me what you looked at? Because he's not going to have it in front of him. But if he looked at it, if he reviewed it, he should remember that, right? And then you might want to throw a little trick on him, which is what an advocate's going to do. They're going to say, well, did you review the statement by Mr. Tom Jones? Yes, I did. Well, that's odd because there is no statement from Mr. Tom Jones. An advocate will do that all the time and will catch management line all the time in that. I've done that a thousand times. What did you look at when you reviewed? Well, I looked at, uh, you know, the investigative interview and I looked at, uh, you know, the supervisor sent up some, some papers and I looked at those and, and, uh, you know, well, did you look at, uh, Gary Tom Jones statement? Yeah. Looked at that. And, uh, well, that's odd because there is no statement from Tom Jones. Oh, you know, get, get crafty, <laughs> get, you know, Think outside the box, man. That makes a fantastic shop steward. Somebody thinks outside the box. Uh, so anyway, if you see that that, re- that concurrence happened on the very same day as the request, make that contention that management rubber stamped that thing. You'll see it all the time, like I stated. You'll see it all the time in arbitration sites where they talk about rubber stamping. And I'll get into one in just a minute. All right, where are we at? This act of review and concurrence must take place prior to the issuance of the discipline. Here's, here's what I hate. I, I hate this, and I think that I don't know why we did this as a union. Because management takes advantage of this more than any other thing. It says, while there is no contractual requirement that there be a written record of concurrence, Management should be prepared to identify the manager who concurred with a disciplinary action so he, she may be questioned if there is a concern that appropriate concurrence did not take place. Let me read that again. This is foolish. Why there is no contractual requirement that there be a written record of concurrence, management should be prepared to identify the manager who concurred with a disciplinary action so he, she, may be questioned if there is a concern that appropriate concurrence did not take place. How asinine is that? Because I'm going to get this, and this has happened to me. I'm going to get this as an advocate, this request for appropriate action. And I've got the the requesting supervisor, and there is no concurrence. There's no concurrence on there. And so I'm going to state that, Mr. Arbitrator, this discipline wasn't properly concurred on. There's no concurrence. And the arbitrator's going to look over them and say, what do you say about that? Well, M. Poo so-and-so concurred on it. Where's that at? 
Well, she's going to come in here and testify to that. You know what happens? Impu so-and-so is going to come in there and say, I concurred. And then they're going to get up and walk out. And you know what? Contractually, that's all they're required to do. How stupid is that? Why would we do that? I don't know why we did that. I'm sure there's a reason for it. There's, these people are, are much, much, much smarter than I am. But contractually, that's all they got to do, right? Isn't that what it states? Management should be prepared to identify the manager who concurred with the disciplinary action so he or she may be questioned if there is a concern that appropriate concurrence did not take place. That's when I ask them, well, what'd you look at? Oh, this, this, and this, and this. And you try to throw them for a little loop, you know, by saying something that wasn't in there. But I've had this in arbitration before. And, th- and this is how we should handle that in arbitration or at the informal, formal, and arbitration level. And, and this is how I would handle it. And my formula I have now is very good at this, at, at this kind of smoke and mirrors type thing. When you raise a contention at informal, first off, management informal is terrible. The, the, when you meet with a supervisor, they don't care about anything because they have no control over anything. They can't decide anything. They're useless and they're, all they are is a signature. That's all the supervisor is at the informal A level. The ones I've seen. Now, in your area, they may be great. It may be a battle. But the ones I've seen, they're just a signature, just a pen in hand. That's all they are. They just sign the 8190 and let's move that thing up. So I'm going to make the contention. This discipline wasn't properly concurred on. And when they read my contentions, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to make a contention themselves. And you're going to send that up to the formal A. The formal A is going to keep that contention for the union. And if management doesn't address it, we're not going to address it. We're not going to say, hey, hang on just a second. I, I raised the issue about concurrence, and you didn't say anything about it. You never rebutted that. You, you, didn't say anything, you didn't tell me who concurred. We're not going to do that. We're going to leave that alone. And we're going to let that ride to the B team because now it's too late. The record is set. According to Article 15, the record is set now. You can't add or take away. So when it gets into arbitration, and I've had this happen before, they came in there, I said, we have a procedural due process violation. Management's poisoned the well of their discipline by not properly concurring. It was in front of arbitrator Brooks, and he's, he's since been kicked off the panel, but and I think it was expedited as well, so you can't use it, but management tries to bring in their person i said hold up just a second hold up we raised this contention at the informal step a level mr arbitrator and management never abutted it never said a thing about it we carried that contention onto the formal step a and management chose to sit on their hands and not address it not rebut it now this record is set they had their opportunity on article 16 to 8 to tell us who it was that concurred and they chose not to do it. The record is set now, it's too late. There's arbitration by ambush now because we weren't able to, to look at things, to request things about this individual who they're going to say is concurring official. And he wouldn't let them testify. And he threw out the discipline. He said, no concurrence, no discipline. So those are just little games you can play, you know, about raise the contention, and don't bring it up to management that they don't rebut it and let it slide. All right? So where are we at? The supervisor. 
I'm going to make that contention anytime anybody other than the immediate supervisor requests discipline. I'm going to say it's a violation of Article 16.8. When they say normally, when management tries to say, well, that says normally, don't say it's a mandate. It's under normal or usual conditions as a rule. So they're going to have to tell me what was unusual about the condition on that day, what was abnormal about the condition of that day that required somebody other than that immediate supervisor to request this discipline and let them fall all over themselves when they talk about it, when they try to explain it, okay? What about this one? What do y'all think about this? Is an emergency placement, does that require a concurrence? What do you think? Y'all think an emergency placement requires a concurrence? I know there's a divide in our union. Some say no, some say yes. Arbitrators are the same way. Some say no, some say yes. What does Article 16.8 say? In no case may a supervisor impose suspension or discharge. Did I read that word right? Suspension? Is that what it states? I think it does. Let's go to 16.7. What does National Arbitrator Mittenthal say? On page 16.8 under 16.7. This is what National Arbitrator Mittenthal says. The employee suspended pursuant to Section 7 has the right to grieve his Suspension. What do you think about that? Let's go to the next page. Separate grievances, still under 16.7. If subsequent to an emergency suspension, management suspends the employee for more than 30 days. Let me read that again. If subsequent to an emergency suspension, what do you think? Management's going to say, well, it's not required to concur because it's an immediate action. It's an immediate action. There is no way we concur on immediate action. And arbitrators will buy that. And some union people feel that way. There can't be no there can't be any concurrence on an emergency placement because it's an immediate action. How am I supposed to concur on something where it's immediate? Well, do we have a notice period? We don't have an advance notice, do we? But am I still required a written notice? How about during the time of that written notice? Should the supervisor go to the manager and say, hey, look, I put so-and-so on emergency suspension and I'm fixing to write this notice and the super and the higher level can say, well, I need them to concur on that because it's suspension. Let's look at it. No, that's not justified. You need to bring them back by them. That 16.7 is not justified. That's what I'm going to say. That's what I say. Hey, baby, it's a suspension. And 16.8 talks about suspensions. Let's talk about it. I've got a decision for you. Arbitrator LeWinter. Okay? Arbitrator LeWinter. And this is what he states. LeWinter, 05164. That's the C number. 05164. Okay? He's going to kind of put all these things together that we've been talking about. It's Arbitrator LeWinter, 05164. This is what he states. Starts on page 14. Okay? As to the question of concurrence, however, the union must be sustained. In uncontested testimony, it was demonstrated that the employer has a form which it uses when requesting discipline to be issued and concurrence. This is known as Form 278E. Thomas Polinsky, then superintendent of delivery, testified that he filled a Form 278E to request concurrence on the suspension. According to his testimony, Mr. Pulaski 
I don't know how you say that. Pulaski, Pulaski called area manager Mike Keegan at the outset. He believes Mr. Keegan concurred in the discipline. As for the removal, delivery supervisor A.W. Allman was the issuing supervisor. There was no evidence he used a Form 278E. However, F. Golby, station manager, testified that he concurred. Concurrence by a higher official is mandatory before the employer can issue any suspension or before it can issue a discharge. The language is as follows in Article 16, Section 8, Review of Discipline. In no case may a supervisor impose suspension or discharge upon an employee unless the proposed disciplinary action by the supervisor has first been reviewed and concurred in by the installation head or designee. It says emphasis added because the arbitrator underlined reviewed. The employer argues that there is nothing in the agreement that the concurrence must be in writing. See, there that is. They're going to use that against us. Here's what he states, though. That is true. However, once the parties establish a certain formal procedure to follow in disciplinary cases, evidenced by the local form, Form 278E, failure to provide the form accompanied by a, by a contest, by the union on the fact of concurrence raises an inference that there was no concurrence. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Because here's how we can use this site to our advantage. If management normally has a request for action or a request for disciplinary action form that they use, and they have the issuing supervisor and the concurring manager on that form, and it does not have the concurring official on that form, and we raise that issue, this is a great site to use if management says, hey, it doesn't need to be in writing. That's just a form we use internally. It doesn't need to be in writing. Use this decision against them. Use this decision. When he states this, however, that is true. However, once the parties establish a certain form or procedure to follow in disciplinary cases, evidenced by the local form, Form 278E, Failure to provide the form accompanied by a contest by the union on the fact of concurrence raises an inference that there was no concurrence. That's beautiful language. Say that, hey, Mr. Arbitrator, we, we have established a certain formal procedure. It's called the request for disciplinary action. That's what we have. And use that to your advantage. Use this site. All right? He goes on. This is especially true where the supervisor, such as Mr. Pulaski, in the suspension case, testified he filled that form. In such a circumstance, it is up to the employer to prove concurrence. Concurrence is not a mere rubber stamp. There's that word I was telling you about earlier. Action by upper-level supervision. It requires a degree of separate action by the concurring superior to review the discipline. In this case, there was no evidence of any review in either discipline. In the case of the suspension, hold up now. <laughs> What's he talking about? Mr. Pulaski testified he called the concurring superior, area manager Keegan, and explained the problem. This was before the investigative memorandum was filed by the postal inspectors. Acting quickly in emergency suspension cases is not improper, but it does not eliminate the need for concurrence. Hello. What? <laughs> what? Come on. Hey, I'm going to read that again. 
Acting quickly in emergency suspension cases is not improper, but it does not eliminate the need for concurrence. Come on. The employer did not present area manager Keegan. That means he didn't testify. From the evidence presented by Mr. Podolsky, he merely told him of his suspicions and the discipline was forthcoming. There was no evidence that Mr. Keegan even asked him any questions or did anything but take his statement on face value. It may not be necessary to have the concurrence in writing, but without it and without any evidence that the Form 278E filed by Pulaski was in, in existence, there is a total lack of any review by Mr. Keegan or any superior source. He goes on, the removal is subject to the same defect. Here, there is no Form 278E testified to or presented at the hearing. The issuing supervisor, Mr. Allman, gave no testimony that he requested any concurrence. Mr. Goldby testified that he concurred with the removal. That's what happens all the time, like I was stating. You're going to have some crony come in there and he just said, Oh, yeah, I, I, I concurred. And thinks he's going to get up and walk out of there. He said Mr. Goldby testified that he concurred with the removal. At no time, however, did Mr. Goldby testify that he was requested to give the formal concurrence as required by the contract. Mr. Goby's testimony is no more effective than if he testified that he agreed with the removal as a general theory. There is no link of the Goby concurrence with the discipline issued. And that's what we're going to state if there's no concurrence. I was talking about at the informal. If you raise that concurrence, they don't say anything. Leave that alone. If it goes up to the formal and they don't address it, don't rebut it, leave that alone. And let that go on up to arbitration because that's what we're going to say there. There's no link of the Goby concurrence with the discipline issued. Concurrence is a specific and formal contract requirement to the issuance of a suspension or discharge. It must occur before the issuance of the discipline and not afterwards. The requirement is not met merely because a superior agrees with the discipline. It must be demonstrated that he was requested to concur and that he reviewed the matter in light of all the current information at the time of concurrence and that he then gave his consent to the issuance of the discipline. While the contract does not require a writing to accomplish this, it is the employer's burden to demonstrate it occurred. Without a writing, it needs to substantially more evidence than was presented at this hearing. Is that pretty or what? That's good stuff right there. He stated that you needed an emergency suspension. He stated that. That's a great site to use. But like I've stated, there are a lot of arbitrators who don't believe that. One of our very best arbitrators we have, uh, she doesn't believe that. She's ruled over and over and over again. No matter how many times you try to convince her, she does not agree that there needs to be concurrence on an emergency suspension. Even though 16.8 clearly states suspension. So, but, but it's a great shot. It's a great shot to take that that emergency suspension needs to have concurrence. And now you've got a good site in winter that talks about that. Here's another side I want to read to you, it, and it's a good one. Carraway, Arbitrator Carraway, 00908, 00908. This is what he states. This provision requires that the immediate supervisor recommend the disciplinary action to be taken. It then must be reviewed and concurred in by the installation head. In this case, Miss Hayes was the immediate supervisor while Postmaster, ah, that name there, Latiolola, 
Latialis was the concurring official. The testimony of Ms. Hayes was that she did not initiate the removal. That decision was made by Mr. Latialis. Ms. Hayes agreed to the decision. This is the reverse of what the first paragraph of Section 6 requires. The immediate supervisor must initiate the disciplinary action and the postmaster must review and concur. Therefore, there was no independent review by higher authority as required by Article 16, Section 6. The postmaster assumed the decision-making role, thereby eliminating the immediate supervisor from her responsibility of recommending initially the disciplinary action. This was in violation of Article 16, Section 6. Based upon arbitral precedent as discussed herein and the strong language of Article 16, Section 6, the arbitrator finds that the agreement was not given due process. The necessity of strictly following this procedure is demonstrated by the use of the phrase in Article 16, Section 6, in no case. Remember how I started this out? The language, in no case. He put emphasis on that. I'll read that again. The necessity of strictly following this procedure is demonstrated by the use of the phrase in Article 16, Section 6, in no case. There were no exceptions intended to be made in following the initiating concurring process. That, that's beautiful. Let me read that again. There were no exceptions intended to be made in following the initiating and concurring process. The arbitrator, therefore, must sustain the grievance on procedural grounds. He is, therefore, precluded from considering the case on its merits. So he never did even get into the merits of the case. He said the immediate supervisor didn't do it. And he's not even going to entertain the merits of the case. That's how strong that language is. If you have anybody other than the immediate supervisor, request that discipline, that suspension or discharge, use that site. If management tries to say normally is in there, use that language I talked to you about, what normally means, and, and ask them, question them about that, okay? We're almost done. Holy smokes, 45 minutes. Good God Almighty. Almost done, though. It goes on to state, going over to page 1610, for additional information on the review of discipline section, see National Arbitrator Eichen, uh, C23828. So let's get that case. Eichen, 23828. Okay, this is National Arbitrator Eichen. And I'm going to read a little bit, and you don't know how I feel about that. I hate that. But I want you to, to hear this. And this is as, as the informal step A as a shop steward. Anytime you have review and concurrence, even if you don't find any problems with it, even if you don't see anything initially that's wrong with it, I want you to get this decision. See 23828. See 23828. It's by Dana Eichen. Okay, it's a national arbitration decision. Get this decision and put it in the case file. Not that the formal A or B team or advocates any smarter than you or anything like that, okay? But just put it in there. And and we may see something that, that you've missed, all right? And that way it'll be in there and we can discuss it. It's on page 20 is where I'm going to start. And it says issues, and then he's got uh, where he's categorized these issues. And this is what he says. When the rhetorical excesses of ardent advocacy are stripped away... 
I do not perceive any meaningful disagreement between the parties with the fundamental proposition that Article 16.6 requires two separate and independent managerial judgments, each based on substantive review of the record evidence. Before suspension or discharge, disciplinary action may be imposed on an employee, the first by the initiating official who proposes discipline, and the second by a higher authority who must review and concur in the proposed discipline before it is imposed upon the employee. It necessarily follows that the requirement of two separate and independent judgments constitutes the very heart and core of Article 16.6, of course it's 16.8, is violated when the reviewing concurring official commands or dictates the disciplinary action to be to the proposing official. When the higher authority merely rubber stamps, there that is again, the disciplinary action proposed by the employee supervisor and or when the sequential steps of a separate and independent supervisory initiation followed by a separate and independent higher authority review concurrence are merged into a single consolidated joint decision by the two managers to suspend or discharge the employee. I'm going to stop right there. What does he mean right there? If by chance, and I've had this happen in arbitration, I had a statement from management. It was from the supervisor. And it was dealing with a 14-day suspension. The hearing was a removal of this gentleman who hadn't been to work in a year. And he hadn't called. He hadn't done it. He'd just been AWOL for a year. It was his removal. And I had this in the hearing. But in the case file was a statement from the supervisor. And he stated that him and the manager had agreed that this guy should get a 14-day suspension. And so they initiated that. He initiated, he requested, and she concurred. And then he stated that they both agree that if he doesn't show back up, that he should get a removal, that they're on the same side as far as that's concerned. And so then later on afterwards, they removed this guy. So I have the request for disciplinary action got the date on there and it's like two weeks after this statement's written well you've already told me that you and the manager had already determined that he should be removed in that statement so now we use this we tell the arbitrator this is a single consolidated joint decision by the two managers to spend to suspend or discharge the employee and he threw out the discipline there were some other things to it too but that was one of the things that we used so that's what we're talking about there, okay? Then he goes on to state, just as the area arbitration decisions rendered by a long line of prominent arbitrators have consensually held, I now hold that a violation of Article 16.6 occurs whenever the initiating official is deprived of freedom to make his own independent determination to discipline by a command decision dictated from higher authority to suspend or discharge. What does that mean? When you go in there and you meet on this suspension or discharge and the uh, supervisor states, hey, look, I like this carrier. I really do. I hate to see this happen to them, but this is out of my hands. You know, labor has told me this or the postmaster hates this guy and I'm not losing my job because I'm going to bring him back. Well, that's what that's talking about. Where it says that uh, the initiating official is deprived of freedom to make his own independent determination, to discipline by a command decision dictated from higher authority to suspend or discharge. So if he states that or she states that in that meeting, write that down. 
just say, oh, okay, well, that's terrible. I hate to see that as you're writing down what they just said. Uh, supervisor so-and-so just said that they couldn't make the decision because labor made it and the manager said this and that. And then put that in there and send that on up to Formal A and we're going to get this carrier back, okay? He goes on to state, the initiating or reviewing concurring officials jointly make one consolidated disciplinary action decision. Talked about that earlier. The higher authority does not review the record and consider all of the available evidence before concurring in the supervisor's proposed discipline. In each such instance, because there have not been two separate and independent judgments on discipline, the employee is deprived of the essential due process check and balances protection that Article 16.6 is intended to provide. And again, when you get that request for action and everything is done on the same day, I'm going to say that was rubber stamped. That's what I'm going to contend. That's rubber stamped. And you can call that concurring official. Contact say you want to interview them. Formal A's going to, and I damn sure going to do it when we get into arbitration. <laughs> He's going to be sweating when I when I get in that ass about that. But he goes on to state, however, so long as the non of Article 16.6 separateness and the independence of judgment in a two-stage process is not violated by command decisions, joint decisions, and or rubber stamping, Article 16.6 does not bar the lower-level supervisor from consulting, discussing, communicating with, or jointly conferring with a higher viewing authority before deciding to propose discipline. Indeed, it is common, and in many ways commendable and conducive to fulfillment of the intent of Article 16.6 for the lower-level authority to communicate with higher management and discuss policies, options, and other factors to be considered before determining whether and to what extent to propose suspension or discharge of an employee. In short, so long as the initiating official retains independent of independence of judgment and is not commanded by higher authority to issue the discipline, such communications for advice and counsel between the initiating official and the higher authority are to be encouraged rather than chilled or prohibited. This is what he's, she's stating. If you get into the meeting and the supervisor says, you know, I'll talk to the postmaster about it, and I'll talk to labor about it. And, uh, well, my arbitrator, I should say, hey, look, that's that's appropriate. Because the supervisor may be in and over his head, and he may seek some guidance. But if he's telling you that they told him what to do, well, I can't uh, I can't settle this. They told me that, that he needs to be removed. And so now we're talking about something different. But if he tells you that, or she tells you that, that he conferred with labor, conferred with the postmaster, you're going to have a hard time trying to say that that's uh, removing him of his authority. Okay? That's what Eisen's saying. It goes on to state, The determining factor on Article 16.6 is not whether the officer in charge seeks advice and counsel outside his office, but whether, once having attained such information, the initiating official acts independently or surrenders that independence completely to the person from whom he has sought such advice. That's basically what I just said. In the former case, Article 16.6 is not violated, but in the latter case, Article 16.6 is violated. By the same token, it is not per se a violation of 16.6 when the higher level authority relies in the reviewing concurring step upon the record considered by the lower level official in proposing the discipline. The higher authority is not required by Article 16.6 to make it an independent investigation. 
in my judgment, with the requirements of Article 16.6 are met when the higher authority makes a substantive review of and bases the decision to concur on the record developed below. Basically, all he's saying there is, is that the concurring official doesn't need to do his own investigation. If, we've, if they've missed something, he doesn't have to go outside of that and call anybody or interview anybody. That's all that's saying. He doesn't have to do his own investigation. But he does have to do a substantive review of the documentation he has at the time of the suspension or removal. And that's where we catch him a lot. Because when you ask him, like I talked about earlier, if you question him, and you said, tell me what you looked at. Well, I looked at everything I had. Great. What was that? Well, it was this and that and that, you know, and, and see if they're telling the truth. And if they're not, record that, document that. Goes on to state, contrary to the position advanced by the Postal Service in this case, however, that process of review and concurrence contemplated by Article 16.6 is not a ministerial formality or a mere technical laying on of hands by the reviewing concurring official. The requirement of a separate and independent second step of review and concurrence by the higher authority is not met by just a declaration of agreement with the first step supervisor's proposed disciplinary action. Compliance with Article 16.6 requires a substantive review of the matter by the higher authority in light of all the current information and the higher authority's concurrence with imposition of the disciplinary action proposed by the supervisor. Since the 1995 amendments, Article 16.6 specifies that this statement of concurrence by the higher authority must be set forth in writing. So, what are we talking about there? If you have a notice or request for appropriate action, and it has a supervisor requesting discipline, and there is no concurring official signature on that showing that they concurred, then you get the notice of removal or notice of suspension. It's written out, and you see... The requesting, initiating supervisor signature, and then it says concurring official, and it has a name. They violated this national arbitrator's decision because you didn't review and concur on the information you had at the time. You're just reviewing on the letter. That's a laying on of the hands. That's what that is. That's a laying on of the hands by the reviewing and concurring official because you didn't review anything. What could you have reviewed? You just reviewed a type letter. You're just basically agreeing with the discipline. You have to show that there was a substantive review of the record developed below, right? And by merely signing a notice of removal or a suspension is not that. Raise that contention, all right? Finally. Holy smokes, it's an hour. Goodness, God. On page 23, she states this. We're almost done. Hang in there with me. Issue number two, the remedy of proven violations of Article 16.6. What she's saying here is, if we show that there is a violation of 16.6, which is our 16.8, if we find there is a violation, what is the remedy of that, okay? About halfway down, she says, in my considered judgment, those relatively few area arbitration decisions which have been grafted onto the condition precedent language Article 16.6, an additional requirement of proof of actual harm, notwithstanding persuasive proof of a command decision, a joint decision, or that the reviewing concurring official merely rubber stamped the proposed disciplinary action are just plain wrong. Here's what she's stating here, and this is critical, especially for advocates. 
this, and when we get into arbitration, I'll talk about this again, but this is what she's stating. When you get a site, when arbitrators say that this due process violation didn't act, do actual harm to the case, she's saying that this violation, Article 16.8, is not one that's de minimis. It's not one that we have to show actual harm. And she even, she even states that in her next sentence, and this is what she talks about. Under different contract language, arbitrators might properly overlook procedural defects in administration of discipline which do not unduly compromise the rights of an employee whose suspension or discharge is otherwise justified on the record. However, the precise terminology of Article 16.6 precludes recourse to that harmless error argument. If this plain language of Article 16.6 occasionally produces a manifestly unfair result, as undoubtedly has in the some cases, the proper recourse is renegotiating at the bargaining table, not arbitral legislation of actual harm or harmless error rules, which are at odds with the express wording of Article 16.6. Here's what she's stating, and I've had this happen numerous times in arbitrations that I've lost. The If the only argument we have is due process violations and the record shows that the care was guilty and, and very guilty and the only argument i have is some due process violations they've got to be substantive they've got to be overwhelming and if it's just a handful of procedural due process violations more than likely an arbitrator is just going to flip those off they're just going to shun those I've had that happen numerous times. I've had some great procedural due process violations, but arbitrators will overlook those, you know, as as de minimis. They didn't harm anybody. They didn't harm the grievant. He's guilty of what he's been accused of. It's overwhelming that he's guilty, and they will overlook that, and we will lose, and I have lost. Uh, it's heartbreaking, but I have lost. Uh, but she's saying that this violation, a 16.8 violation, is not like that. If there's found to be a violation of 16.8, it damns management's action. And, and here's what she states on the last page. This is her remedy. And she's going to say that. It's page 25, award of the national arbitrator. Issue number one, Article 16.6, review of discipline of the extensions to the 1995-1999 USPS NR NRLCA National Agreement is not violated if the lower-level supervisor consults, discusses, communicates with, or jointly confers with the higher reviewing authority before deciding to propose discipline. This is her talking about the this 16.6 review of discipline is the USPS NRLCA National Agreement. That's the National Rural Letter Carriers Association. But ours is 16.8. This is 16.6, okay? But we still use it, and it's in our agreement, right? Again, A, is not violated if the lower-level supervisor consults, discusses, communicates with, or jointly confers with the higher reviewing authority before deciding to propose discipline. We talked about that. B, is violated if there is a command decision from higher authority to impose a suspension or discharge. We talked about that. C, is violated if there is a joint decision by the initiating and reviewing officials to impose a suspension or discharge. We talked about that. D, is not violated if the higher level authority does not conduct an independent investigation and relies upon the record submitted by the supervisor when reviewing and concurring with the proposed discipline. We talked about that. 
E, is violated if there's a failure of either the initiating or reviewing official to make an independent substantive review of the evidence prior to the imposition of a suspension or discharge. We talked about that. F, is violated if there is no evidence of written review and concurrence prior to imposition of a suspension or discharge. Talked about that. And here's what she says, issue number two. A. Proven violations of Article 16.6 as set forth in issues 1B, 1C, or 1E are fatal. Substantive violation invalidate the disciplinary action and require a remedy of reinstatement with a make-hold damages. Again, proven violations of Article 16.6 as set forth in issues 1B, 1C, or 1E are fatal. That These are not de minimis type due process violations. She states... If there's found to be a violation of Article 16.8 at any point, it's fatal to management's case. There's no coming back from it. So if we can find any violation of 16.8, we're going to put this decision in there, and we're going to say, Mr. Arbitrator, Madam Arbitrator, there's no need to get into the merits. Management's case is fatally flawed because there's been a substantive violation of 16.8. All right? Hey, it's been an episode right here, right? <laughs> it's been an episode right here, baby. It's an hour and eight minutes. Holy smokes. But I think that 16.8 warrants that. I do. I could have had two or three episodes, but hell, let's get it all out of the way in this one episode. I think that it warrants that because I think that there's a lot of things to 16.8 that we need to get into and find and investigate and be thorough about it. Okay, uh, and we need to do that at the informal step A level. Need to do that as shop stewards. We got 14 days to investigate these things. So when we get this discipline, and we see that review and concurrence, man, I have gone over this agnosium. Okay, so I hope this has helped y'all. I really do. <laughs> I, I hate to think that I'd waste an hour and 10 minutes, but th there's some good stuff in there. Okay, is that all to it? No. There's more things, like I've always stated. Get you a good core group, and y'all go over things. They're probably a lot smarter than me, and they can tell you, hey, look here, go right here and do this, or look at this and find that. But these are things that would definitely help you. It's going over 16.8. Uh, we've done that thoroughly. Use it to your advantage. I hope we win every single case. hope we win every single case, and I hope this helps us, all right? Y'all take care of yourselves out there. I hope y'all have a blessed rest of the day. And I'll see you on the next episode, probably get into some 1610 on the next episode. Uh, until then, God bless you, and I'll talk to you later. Take care now. Bye-bye.